Well, good morning to all of you. To the ones I did not shake your hand this morning, shake. We're shaking. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Hey, we're continuing our studying in the book of Matthew. And I titled this, Ready or Not, Jesus is Coming. Or like when you play hide and go seek, ready or not, here I come. That whole thing. Well, I think Jesus is coming, ready or not, we need to be prepared. It's talking about the faithful servant and the unfaithful servant this week. Uh, as you know, we're in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to happen. They want to know, what is the sign of your coming, Jesus? Tell us what it's going to be like. And all through from Matthew 24, 4 on, he's telling us what to expect prior to his return. Jesus, folks, is coming back, and we believe he's coming back soon. Now, I'm rather disappointed that we're still here today, okay? But hey, okay, we still go on. We still go on. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51, please stand as we read the Word of God. And I want you to realize we stand when we read word, God's Word to honor Him. We honor our God. He is to be high and lifted up. This is his word, his message to us. Let's read together, starting in verse 45. Who then is faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delayed his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him as portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God. God. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us many, many heads up on what to expect before you come back. May we be the bride that is prepared and ready for the return of our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of our hearts today, things that you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The theme of Matthew, as you know, for probably the 50th time is Jesus is the promised king. And you know that there's a kingdom coming. The second that you were born again of the Spirit, when you said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you became a spiritual, spiritually involved in the kingdom of God. But there is a physical kingdom that is coming. And we believe it's soon. And I'm hoping it's really soon. And I bet you are too. Now, last time we met... One was taken and one was left, and there was a great debate on who was taken and who was left. This refers to the rapture of the church or the second coming. It's less important on which one of those are than what the message is, is to watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. We do not know. Now, I believe Jesus will come back before the tribulation, before the wrath. And I want you to also know that these other views are just as valid, and the other views of the rapture or the coming of Christ are orthodox. People that believe these views are orthodox Christians, are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I do not believe that we should separate over this doctrine, but I do believe strongly in a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, with that said, there's a picture coming up on the screen, and I want you to realize that each one of these positions is pre-wrath, is pre-wrath. 
we're pre-trib, we believe what we're pre-wrath. So I believe we're in the church age now, the tribulate, the pre-trib people are pre-wrath. The mid-trib people, they're pre-wrath. They don't believe the wrath comes into the middle of the tribulation. And then there's the pre-wrath folks that believe when the bold judgments start, the very last judgment, remember there's seals, trumpets, and bowls. This is probably a month or so before the end of the tribulation. That's when Jesus comes and takes us to heaven. And there's the post-tribulation folks that believe Jesus comes for us, takes us into heaven, whoops, makes a U-turn and comes right back down to the earth. All of these are orthodox positions. All of these are Christians, and we will find out soon, <laughs> soon, which view is correct. Which view is correct. So, don't fight over this, but just have a position and, and base it as strongly as you can on Scripture and agree to disagree. Yeah. I, want you to, I wanted to also emphasize that the rapture is going to be an unknown event. There, it's a, it can come at any time. It can come at any time. But the second coming of Christ, uh, as Jesus was saying, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the second coming of Christ. Folks, when Jesus comes back, it is not going to be business as usual. This whole world will be one giant cataclysmic mess. But before the rapture, it will be business as usual, just like it was in the days of Noah before the flood came and took them all away. So the message here is that be ready. You don't know when Jesus is coming. And I think for the second coming, it's going to be a mess. So I believe that those are taken, are taken in the rapture. That is my view. Again, I have the minority view on that. The majority of believers, and these are some very strong believers people that are pre-trib believers that believe that this speaks of the second coming. There's also a group that I'm part of that would, that would say that, no, this is the rapture of the church, and basically is because of that world is not going to be normal prior to Jesus coming back. It will be normal prior to the rapture, as normal as this weirdness is. So, with that stated, stand by, we will know soon. Our now listen to this. Our world cannot survive the way that it's going. There's too much crazy stuff out there, too much weird stuff. And by the way, humanity will not save the planet. I don't care how many World Economic Forum meetings you have or how many United Nations meetings you have and how, what strategies the humanists have. You will not, the humans will not save the planet. Jesus will come back and rescue the planet. That's how that whole thing works. And think about this. There's too many crazy people in the world today that have access to nuclear weapons, chemical weapons, and biological weapons that could totally destroy humanity. The reason they're not doing that is because there's some sort of resistance to that going on, and I think that's God preventing that up to this point, up to this point. So this week, we're going to say, ready or not, here you come, Jesus, and I have this picture to start it out with, just covering your eyes, ready or not, here I come, are you ready? That's a question for each person. Now, whether he comes in the rapture or not in your lifetime, or he comes to you naturally. Now, think about this. You can have a personal rapture. I believe that's when you pass normally, where Jesus puts you to sleep. That's special. That's special. Now, we all don't want to go through death. I'm not looking forward to dying. I don't mind being in the presence of God. I just don't like the process that takes place <laughs> as you're going through that whole thing. So if I could skip that, fine. If I can't skip it, okay, I go like everybody else went. Everybody else. I want you to think about something. Many decades ago, 
And if you're a Star Wars fan and a galaxy far away, <laughs> there were kids that would play outside. And the kids would play outside and you'd play baseball and football and hockey. And you'd play iron horses. Some guy jumped on your back. Another guy had somebody jump on his back. And you ran at each other. Boom, 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 boom. And you're trying to knock the other one down. You knock the horse down. You knock the guy down. You can't do that today. I mean, you have to have helmets on. And all, you know, but we play, and they crack, they ever play Crack the Whip? You ever see kids doing Crack the Whip? That's not legal today. They're going to hit some kid. You got some kid at the end of the thing, and you're running around, and you sling the, and that kid goes rolling into the field, and everybody's going, yay, yay, great, wonderful, terrific. And then we had a game called pom-pom, and I don't know if anybody ever played this game. It must have been just my neighborhood because nobody's ever heard of it. But anyway, there'd be one guy in the middle, everybody would line up, and then you'd run across, and this guy would tackle somebody, and that guy would join him in the middle till you got down to the last guy. And then that guy would try to dodge and get through, and then he would win, win, win the game. Now, that was a rough game. That was a rough, you don't see that today. You can't play that today. It's not safe. It's not safe. But there is a game that you can play today. It is called hide-and-go-seek. Remember this one, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Here, ready or not, here I come. Well, that's Jesus, folks. Ready or not, here I come. He is coming, and he's coming soon. Jesus is coming for a faithful servant, and he's also coming for the unfaithful servant. The faithful servant are the ones that are going, I believe, in the rapture of the church. The unfaithful servants are going to be going into the tribulation and end up in hell separated from God. So let's look, about the, let's look at the faithful servant. And by the way, God is a God that gives you one do-over after another do-over after another do-over. Second chances, second chances over and over. And aren't you glad? I'm just so thrilled that God is gracious and merciful and loving to us. We're in the age of grace now, but folks, there's a time coming when God says like Roberto Duran with, with, with Sugar Ray Leonard, no mas, no more, I've had enough, okay? And God will say no more second chances and he will come, and this will be over. This will be over. Okay, so verse 45 through 47, the faithful servant. Who then is the faithful, and oh, watch this, wise, wise servant, whom his master made ruler over all his household, to give them food in due season? Now watch what he says to the faithful one. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. Jesus is going to come for the faithful. Jesus will come for his bride. Jesus will come for his church. And again, I am hoping that that will be very soon when he comes. So faithful and wise, that characterizes the true believer. Now, what does faithful look like? What does faithful look like? Faithful means certain, worthy to believe, True, just, trustworthy, observant, steadfast. Now, aren't those great qualities, great character qualities that you would see in somebody? Now, how many of those qualities do you see in people today? Most people, it's situational ethics. They, they just make things up as they're going. Very few today have really faithful values that are, that are godly. Whatever the situation is, people change their opinions situational ethics. What does wise look like? Well, it means prudent. It means showing you 
care for the future, care for things, sensible, using practical wisdom in relationships with others. That's the definition when you look up that word. That is not the word Sophia, and that is not the word Hakama. We're going to give you that word in just a second. But that is a different word that was used in this context. What does wise look like? Prudent. Proverbs gives a whole indication of what wisdom is. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is called Hakama. Hakama, and it'll come up on the screen. It is this. It is to be wise, is the ability to judge correctly. And we have emphasized over and over that, yes, yes, believers are to be discerning and make judgments regarding right and wrong according to Scripture, not according to our own feelings. According to Scripture, you are to do that. You are to judge correctly. The spiritual person judges all things. 2 Corinthians 2.15. Proverbs 31.9, open your mouth and judge righteously, righteously. And then uh, John 7.24 says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So there is a judgment that we are to use, but it is to be righteous. It is to be righteous. So judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding, and I put in there, of Scripture. Wisdom is the ability to see something from God's viewpoint. That's what we want. Not my viewpoint, God's. Wisdom is God's character in many practical affairs of life. Now, Zadiades, in his word study, adds this. True wisdom always leads, and listen to this, always, always, always leads to reverence for the Lord. And you know Proverbs 9.10 is that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that word fear, you know it by now, is yare. I've mentioned it many times. And it can mean tremulous fear or awesome respect for God. If you are really wise, you have awesome respect, reverence for God. Reverence for God. Now, I've summarized wisdom up this way. Wisdom is the ability to judge correctly. Skillful in mind, word, and action. To be able to see, judge, and act. And I got that from Rod Dreyer's book, Live Not By Lies. We're living in a culture that we have to see what's going on around us, judge what's going on around us according to Scripture, not according to our own feelings, and then make an action. And that means speak the truth, live out the truth in that culture that is running from the truth. That is what we are to do as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. People can be really smart. They can have high IQs right off the chart. They can know all the science and they can know all the mathematics. They can have brilliant insight into issues. But if they are not wise in God, then they are not wise people. Most people are far from God, cannot have God's wisdom. Most Christians, by the way, are far from God. They don't tap into God's wisdom. Most people that you come in contact with could care less about God's wisdom. They just care about their wisdom. Many people think they are wise, but you know what the Bible calls them? Fools. Fools. Godly wisdom allows one to answer the perplexing questions of life. Questions that you've had. Questions that you've had, that you've wondered about, that the brilliant minds struggle with. Listen to what these are. How did we get here? Now, the whole world struggles with that. We don't struggle with it. How do we get here? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Real simple. Not a problem for us. We believe Genesis 1 through 11 are real and true. 
a real Adam, a real Eve, a real fall, that whole thing. Believe the whole deal. Why are we here? Well, we're here to come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and to serve Him. Why is there so much evil in the world? Well, it's the fall of man into sin. What do we do while we're here? We're to live for the Master. And what is the way out of here, folks? The only way out of this earth trap that we're in is to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then you'll be part of another kingdom, another community, and you'll be living with Him forever. That's how we get out of here. And then where are we going? People wonder this. You talk to so many people, well, we just go back to the dust. We're like the little rabbit in the field, and you see his little skeleton or the squirrel, and they just went to the dust. No, no. Scripture says ashes to ashes and dust to dust with this. But it also says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We live with him forever. We have no problem with these concepts. The world does. The world does. The Christian worldview, I believe, answers these questions better than any other worldview. And don't you just love this? What is a worldview? We have a picture here. It just, it, it's, how, it's the lens in which you see your world. This is how you see your world. How are you viewing your world? If you remember, I've shared with this several times, Brandon House in his book, Religious Trojan Horse, defined a worldview. And he says, your worldview is, I didn't write this down because we've been through it a lot, so just listen. Your worldview depends on your doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. What is being fed into you? What are you receiving as the truth? That is your doctrine. What are you being taught? What you are being taught, your doctrine determines your worldview, how you're viewing the world around you. Your worldview will determine your values, what you determine is valuable in your life, and your values will ultimately play out in your conduct, how you're living in this world today. There's a secular, non-biblical worldview that people live unto themselves and do whatever they want, make up their own truth, and there is a biblical worldview. Now, what are people being taught in universities? A humanistic worldview. What are you seeing in the workplace, media, and government? You're seeing values that shape their thinking and ultimately comes out in their conduct and actions. A secular, humanistic, man-centered worldview. Now, what has resulted? In America today, we've seen the Judeo-Christian ethic jettisoned out of the culture. There are so few that believe in absolute truth. So few that believe in the Word of God as as being the thing that we actually look at to direct our lives. So few. Secular humanism, folks, is devoid of God, and, it got, and this secular humanism is shaping the minds of people today in our culture. Now, what has resulted? Now, this would not have happened. This could not have happened. This could not have happened. What I'm going to say here could not have happened without the jettisoning of God. And again, the 60s, we thought were great. A.W. Tozer, as we learned realized that it was just one big mess in the 60s. But anyway, in the 60s, when I grew up, it was a whole lot better than it is now. And I thought that was a great age. He thought it was terrible. But notice what happens here as you jettison God. Gender confusion. Now, I'm sorry, but there is such a thing as science, real science. And in science, it was revealed something really, really strange. There's two genders a man and a woman. But oh no, we have university professors teaching today that there's umpteen different genders. And by the way, those, those people that identify with different genders can identify with different animals. You can be a cat one day. 
You can be a horse one day. This is sad. This is actually kids are identifying, and that's being affirmed in them. They're not, play, they're not playing. See, when I was little, I was Roy Rogers. I knew I wasn't Roy Rogers. I knew that the arm of the chair that I was riding the horse on, I knew that wasn't Trigger. I knew that wasn't Trigger. My mom wasn't saying, that's Trigger. You're really Roy Rogers. There's nobody affirming that stuff. But now they do. You're a cat. You're an angel. You're a dog. You're whatever. Folks, that is, that is child abuse. That is child abuse to the nines. How about marriage confusion? There's a lot of that going on. What did Jesus say? It's between one man and one woman for life, okay? That's what he said. He didn't say man, man, woman. woman. There's no confusion with Jesus. How about, how about life confusion? Who should live and who should die as we've killed 65 million and counting babies in this nation? Life confusion. Life confusion. Remember, you throw out God, you get confusion. Deuteronomy 28, 28 is right. When God told the nation of Israel, when you run from me, this is what's going to happen to you. And this is what has happened to America today. We've thrown out God, and he said, I'll strike you with madness, blindness, and confusion of heart. Just remember, a real short verse. When you're looking at the stuff that's going on today, look at it as the result of a culture jettisoning God. Madness, confusion, and blindness of heart. Folks, godly wisdom allows us to view our world from God's perspective, not from man's perspective. Big difference. Now, we've talked about faithful, and we've talked about wisdom and wise. Then he says the wise servant, the faithful wise servant. Make no difference. Make, make no, have no misunderstanding of this. That word is a slave. In our culture, slavery was awful, terrible. But this is different. We're enslaved to Jesus Christ as our master. A servant is called a doulos, a bondservant, a willing slave of the master that he loves. A bondservant will carry out the will of his master while the master is away. See, that's what the, he's away. He's away right now, so to speak. Now, in case you don't know who are bondservants, in Scripture, Jesus was a bondservant. I want to be like Jesus. You know, Paul was a bondservant. Timothy, James, Peter, Jude, all bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. All bondservants. And by the way, believers today are to be bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. My will consumed with his will, the will of the master. That's what it is. Believers today should consider themselves bondservant. He is our Lord. Our allegiance is to Him and Him alone. Now look at when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, all other masters went out the door. All other rulers in your life went out the door. That is why when we call Him Lord, remember what the word Lord is. It is kurios. Kurios. And it means master, ruler, owner. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my God. Many today are consumed with the will of many other masters, and they ignore Jesus Christ. Folks, you are a bondservant of Jesus, and you are on a mission right now. You have a mission to serve the master while you have breath. Now look, at your service may change over the years. I will not always be able to do this, and neither will you. Your, your assignment may change, but you will have an assignment until you exit this planet. 
There's no such thing as the Christian retiring from Christianity. Your, your, your action, your, your duties might change, but folks, you do not retire. We are in this to the death. Remember, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I want these to be our words, our words today. I have fought the good fight, and there is a good fight to be fought. I have finished the race that was given to me. I have kept the faith. How did Paul do that? Did he do that on his own? Let me get some answers here. Did somebody talk? Did he do that on his own? No, Mr. Gorham. No, 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 he did not. He did it through the power of God. He did it through the Holy Spirit. No one does this on their own. No one's finishing this thing on their own. So the believer's goal is this. Now listen to this. Hopefully, this is your goal. Faithful to the end. Finish your race strong. Burst through the finish line. Now, what we don't want to do is grumble to the end. Grumble to the end. Whining to the end. How about grumpy? Grumpy to the end. Everything's bugging me. Everything in the world's bugging Angry to the end. No, we want to be faithful to the end, and we want to represent the Lord Jesus Christ as his ambassador to the community around us while we are here, and we do it with fervency, and we do it with passion. We do it with our heads held up high. This is no way. We do not address our culture like this. Well, I guess I'm a Christian. I think, no, you're, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say it like you mean it. I'm in the family of God. Folks, we are on a mission to be about the master's business until we are taken out of here. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says it perfectly. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithful till he comes for you. Faithful. Now, with everything that, this is a, some introspection here, with everything that's going on in our lives, and there's a lot of mess going on in our lives, how in the world can we finish faithful? How can we finish strong? And I, might I add, you can't, God can. You can't, God can. You cannot end your strength. It takes the Spirit's power. So stay on mission, finish your race, and this is how you do it. Stay yoked to Jesus, and you will be rewarded. Now, when I say stay yoked to Jesus, remember Jesus said, Come unto me, all you are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, remember that the two oxen yoked together. You're yoked with Jesus, but you don't want to do this while Jesus is doing this. Whose neck do you think is the strongest? I mean, you're going to be doing this your whole life, okay? No, stay yoked to Jesus. You walk in concert with him. That is where you find your peace. That is how you find your joy. That is how you find your purpose. You stay yoked to Jesus Christ, and you will finish strong. Now, think about this. Again, strong you will be rewarded by Jesus. Strong finishers will be rewarded. Verse 47, he will make him ruler over all his goods. Now listen to this. Now I believe the first thing on the agenda after we are raptured, taken out of here, when Jesus comes for his bride, I think the first thing on the agenda is the Bema seat judgment. And we have a slide here of this. This is the harpazo. This is the rapture of the church. This is the great escape. 
The first thing is the beam of seat judgment. That is where we receive rewards or loss of rewards. Then will be the marriage of the Lamb as it's going, as a seven-year period of time is taking place. We'll come back with Jesus. We'll rule in the millennial kingdom with us, with him, depending upon the works that we have done will determine what we do in the kingdom. Now, there also is going to be a sheep and goat judgments, which we haven't gotten to yet. But this is how the Gentiles treat the people of Israel during the tribulation period. Will they be faithful to God? Or will they be faithful to Antichrist? And then finally, there's a great white throne judgment for all the lost. And they will go to the great white throne and end up in the lake of fire, separated from God forever. Those are the three judgments that are coming. The judgment that you will be at is the Bema Seat judgment. That is defined this way. J. Hampton Keithley says this, quote, This word was taken from the Isthmian Games where the contestants would compete for the prize under the careful scrutiny of judges who would make sure that every rule of the contest was obeyed. The victor of a given event who participated according to the rules was led by the judge to the platform called the Bema Seat. It was an elevated platform. There they would receive a laurel wreath it was placed on their head as a symbol of victory. Folks, at the beam of seat judgment is where you're going to get your crowns. The rewards that Jesus has promised to you for faithfulness. The beam of seat. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15, it explains the beam of seat judgment. And if you want to, you can turn there and read this with me. Because this is an event that you will be at. You won't be at the great white throne. You're not going to be at the sheep and the goats, but you will be at the beam of seat judgment. You will stand face to face, mano a mano with Jesus. Watch what he says. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He, we build our lives on him. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, Christ's foundation, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, crystal clear. You will know on that day what you did for yourself and what you did for Jesus. It'll become clear. For the day will declare because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, this is the Bema Seat Judgment. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. Now, we like that, don't we? Don't you like rewards? Here's the candy bar. You were really good in class today. You know, rewards. We like rewards. Well, that word is mythos. Mythos. And it actually means a payment for service. But if anyone's work is burned, wood, hay, stubble, doesn't, isn't refined like gold, silver, and precious stone through the fire, then he will suffer loss. Folks, that's detriment. That's detriment. You will have a sense at this judgment of, oh, Lord Jesus, what have I done with my life? What have I done? It will not be Jesus condemning us. Remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It'll be me realizing what could have been, what could have been, and I will suffer the, the detriment, the loss of that. He'll be saved as through the fire, but suffer detriment, suffer loss. So folks, the important thing is God has given you a spiritual gift. Work within your spiritual gift. God will reward you handsomely. He is a generous rewarder 
for the things that you have done in his name. This is the faithful servant. Now, what about the unfaithful servant? Verse 48 through 51. But if, but if that evil servant says in his heart, you know, that's your thoughts, feelings, emotions, the real you. My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two. Listen to the violence here. Cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, this is a dire picture. This is Jesus, the Lamb of God, coming back, dealing with the wrath. This is, ends up being the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the holiness of God, and dealing with sin. The evil servant's philosophy, folks, is the world's philosophy. Tell me if you don't, if you don't think this is correct. While the cat's away, the mice will play. It's all about me, myself, and I. My master has delayed his coming, and somehow people process as delay as I doubt he's coming. I doubt he is coming. Now, the church through the centuries has proclaimed that Jesus is coming. You must realize the disciples, they, they, they thought Jesus is coming. Tell us when you're coming, Jesus. It's got to be any day now. I mean, we're going through enough of this Roman stuff. It's got to be any day now. They thought it was their time. The early church, they thought, well, this must be it. I mean, the early church, they thought it must be coming at any second now. Throughout history, most people thought it was their time. But you know what, folks? It could not be the time for Jesus to come until two things happened. Two things happened. Two things. Each side of the room. Two things. Remember, the Jews had to be in their land, occupying, having control of their land. Okay? They come in on belief. May 14th, 1948, that happened. See, they weren't in charge with Rome. They had nothing to say there. The time of the Gentiles, the, the Jerusalem had been trampled down by the Gentiles. They will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the second coming of Messiah, until the kingdom. But they have a place now that is called the nation. That did not happen until May 14th, 1948. Folks, that's the fig tree sign. That is a seminal moment in biblical history. But the second thing is the worldly can, world cannot annihilate itself. Remember, Jesus said, lest these days be cut short, no flesh will be saved alive, but for the elect's sake, these days will be cut short. Now, you know that we have the ability to kill ourselves many, many times over. That did not happen at any other time in history till we had the technology, the nukes, the chemicals, the biologicals that we have today. So you are living in the time that qualifies for, the, for Jesus to come back for us. The evil servant, folks, was an earth dweller. And by the way, earth dwellers have earth dweller values. Just so you know that. He misrepresented his master. And watch what he does. He begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. Let me give you a principle. Uh, hear this. Everybody that's someplace else in your Bible... Someplace else, you're thinking of the Lions today. Maybe winning two in a row. Who knows? Miracles happen. They do. Come back for just a second. There's a principle here that you must know. You become like those you hang with. You become like those you hang with. Bad company. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 33. 
Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. That is a principle of God. That happens. That happens. Then there was a day of reckoning. Verse 50. The master of the servant will come on a day. Listen to this. When he is not looking for him in an hour that he is not aware of. Folks, we do not know when Jesus is coming for us. Whether it's the rapture of the church or whether it's the normal way, you have no idea if you're going to pull a, well, in the, it's just struck me, okay? This is off the cuff. Might want to erase this or something, but Cass Elliot and the mamas and papas. Now, she ate a sandwich one day and choked to death. She wouldn't expect him to do that. Just boom, gone. It happens so frequently with people. All of a sudden, boom, gone, boom, gone. You don't know when he's coming for you. The consequence of doing your own thing is awful. Verse 51, cut him in two. That's a violent end. Appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Folks, Jesus warned about the eternal destiny of humans. He warned people over and over and over. And he pleaded with them. He talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Don't go there. Don't go there. Whatever you do, don't go there. Cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, do whatever. Don't go there. That is the warning. The consequence of doing your own thing. The evil servant started out looking genuine. Watch this. He looked genuine. He was called a servant. He was called the bond servant. The same word, doulos. He was called the doulos. But he was simply a hypocrite. Much like the nation of Israel was a hypocrite when Jesus went to the fig tree and was looking for fruit, and all he found was leaves. Much like a hypocrite, they use a lot of God talk and Jesus speak, but there's no change in their life. Happens often. So many claim the name and say, I know Jesus. But I can tell you unequivocally, the important thing is, does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? Remember Matthew 7, through 23. In context, he's talking to the false teachers. But there's a warning to each one of us that just permeates each, one, each life. Folks, it isn't what you did in second grade camp and then you live away from God your whole life. You have no assurance of salvation, none. You have no assurance in salvation unless there's a character change, a life change. Watch what he says to these, these, these false teachers. When they came before him and said, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? We did many wonderful works in your name, Jesus. We did many great things in your name. You know what Jesus said? Depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. You're unrighteous workers. You who persistently did things counter to my will and my way. So many claim the name. Look, you may fool your family. You may fool your friends. And you may fool yourself but you will not fool Jesus. He knows those who are his. How do I know that? 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. God knows those who are his. And everyone that confesses the name of the Lord must, must, must turn away from unrighteousness. That's how you know you're really in the family of God. Remember, change is an indication of genuineness. Let me say that again. Change is an indication of genuineness. 
No one, no one, no one was ever saved to remain the same. Jesus does not come into a life and just say, hey, you're great, you're wonderful, and you're perfect. Now you have the righteousness of Christ imputed for you. Live any way that you want. Never does he say that. Notice it does not say be perfect to be genuine. No one's going to be perfect. Remember, we have a picture here. It's not about perfection, but it's direction. You're on a course. You're on a life change. It may take time. But folks, when you re-examine your life, and we should do that from time to time, examine our lives. Where am I going? What am I doing? Am I any different than I was before? This is a real challenge. You, each one has a pressure point. Mine, I get challenged every week. When I get on I-94 and I go to my mom's in Detroit, I'm challenged. Am I going to act the same way this week again, Lord, with these people that are just don't know how to drive on this freeway? They all are in my way. I'm challenged with that. I have to deal with that. But I feel like, I, I, I feel like I, I'm making a little bit of progress. There are times when I actually go, mm, okay, let that go. Let, let that one go. And you just have to let things go. It's, it's not perfection, it's direction. Really, remember, we, we've shared this verse before, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, that if is a first class if in grammar. It means that it is so. If and it is so. If anyone is in Christ, for real, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Folks, I'm on a journey of change. I am. And again, I can go forward. And whoops, I slip back. Pick it up again. Go forward. Don't get discouraged. Confess your sin, whatever you're dealing with. And you might slip back again, but you want to be kind of doing this, okay? Making a little bit of progress as you're going. Jesus leaves no wiggle room for this missing, wiggle room for this evil servant's destiny. Appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He doesn't mince words here. That's torment. That's forever separated from God. That's a real place. How do I know? Not because I said so. Jesus said so. The Bible says so. Now, this blows my mind how people willingly say to God, I will be the master of my fate. I will be the captain of my soul. Folks, this is humanism. And folks, that is foolishness. Because someone denies something. You know, a lot of times people will say, I just don't believe in your God. It doesn't change anything. You can say that, that tree out there, I don't believe in that tree. That tree's still there. I mean, why do we believe in God? Why do we believe in Him? I believe we have evidential faith, folks. Not blind faith, evidential faith. What does it say? The cosmos, the heavens declare the glory of God. Folks, when you look at the vastness of heaven, the vastness of the, of the creation from the, from the macro creation to the micro creation, folks, this did not happen by evolution. This did not happen by circumstance. This had an organizer to it. That organizer is God, the canon of Scripture, Christ, His life, His death, burial, and resurrection. The conditions for life on this planet are so fine-tuned that it's impossible for it to just happen. 
You know, scientists believe that something becomes improbable when you have 50 zeros to it, one to the 50th. Do you know that the hemoglobin that's circulating in your blood that carries the oxygen, the chance of that occurring, according to scientists, regular scientists, regular secular scientists, it's one to 650th that that could happen by some sort of evolutionary means. Even to them, impossible. Impossible. Folks, there is a creator, and that creator is God. So the evidence for God is overwhelming. The knowledge of him must be suppressed in someone to ignore or discard God as a fairy tale. Here, Romans 1, 18 through 21. Let's go through this together. For the wrath of God, the orge of God, is revealed. Remember, this is, this is real wrath from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress, suppress, push down the truth. They know about God, yes, they push it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Every heart knows. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly, clearly perceived in every human heart, ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, futile in their thinking. That's called stinking thinking, by the way. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. Isn't that what the world does? Claimed to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. They, instead of worshiping the glory of God and understanding the glory of God, they opt for worshiping the creation over the creator. Folks, that is a foolish, deceived person. The evil servant suppresses the truth of God, ignores God, and folks will end up separated from God. This is a tragedy that need not be. So many today are indifferent to God. Ignore, ignore him. Indifference, folks, is a, is a form of hate. Rebecca Pierpert says this, Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. Apathy. I don't care about you, God. Even if you're there, I just don't care about you. Sad. So sad. Closing thoughts. Now, I want to indelibly imprint this on our brains. Ready or not, I'm coming back. Who signs that? Jesus. Jesus. Ready or not, here, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. This is real. This is true. This will happen. All true believers, listen to this, are servants of the Most High God. A servant, or the Scripture calls him a, also a steward, is one who manages another's properties and affairs. The key point here is it's not mine. It all belongs to God. Now, I'm a steward of three things. Again, this is for each side. Three things. This isn't in your notes, so hear this. Of who I am. I'm a steward of who I am. 
I'm a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I belong to him. He owns me. I do what he tells me to do. What I have, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift come down from the Father of lights who's not changed like sifting sand. And then I'm a servant of what I do with my life. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Folks, if you, you be the best teacher that's ever been in that public school system. You be the best plumber that ever worked in that company or electrician. You be the best at whatever you are to the glory of God. You are working for the king. You're not working for yourself. We are to honor him and reflect him wherever we are. Now, I'm not thinking as a steward or a servant when I do the following. Now, watch this. This happens to each one of us. When I try to control everything and everyone around me, whether it's my circumstances, other people, even people will try to manipulate God in their prayers, etc., to get control, to have things done my way. The feeling that everything must go through me in order to be done right. How about I'm not a servant when I brag? How great I am and how pitiful others are. And then this one really hit me because I have this gene, this inherited worry gene, worry. It hits, it hits each one of us. If God is in control and I am not, then why am I worrying? I have to process this. Worry is an indication that I am in control and folks, I am not in control. Jesus warned us and in fact commanded us not to worry. Matthew 6, 25 through 27 are words that just hit me hard. Therefore, I tell you, and just put your name there. I just say, Rick, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about what you will wear. Is not life much more than food and the body more than clothes? Think about the time we're going into. Think about how we see Christians throughout the world living in such poverty and such mess, but yet they have the joy of the Lord, hiding, running in fields, doing anything they can to meet together, anything they can to have fellowship with another Christian, to be able to read the word together in some hidden place. Do not worry. He'll provide for you. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? Can one of you by worrying add a single hour to his life? A single moment to his life? No, you cannot. As our world changes, as we change, as everything is turned upside down, folks, in the middle of life, messes. And folks, the crisis will come one after another. Do not worry or be anxious. This is God's word to us. I don't care what mess you're going through. You're going to get a diagnosis someday that is not a good diagnosis. You're going to be departing from here. It might not be a very pleasant departure. Most of them are not. Do not worry about it. Your God has promised to be with you through the whole thing. The Spirit of God is the parakletos, the comforter, who I believe will give you supernatural comfort through the whole thing. Be not anxious. This is something that I heard from Chuck Missler. But evidently, he got it from somebody called Summers Roche. 
So I tracked this down. It says, worry is a sin. It's a form of blasphemy. Let that hit you. Worry is assuming responsibility that God did not intend you to have. By the way, when did worry come into God's creation? At the fall. There will be not one drop of worry, one drop of fear in the kingdom. Now, when I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I had a transfer of kingdoms. Now, I have the ability to live today without worrying because I'm in a different kingdom. I have a different king. I have a different destiny. I can act in the new me and not in the old me. Worry is that trickle of fear. Listen to this, how it steals life. Is that trickle of fear that cuts a crevice so deep, it drains all other thoughts away. And all you are is consumed with your worry situation. You're acting, you're not acting like a servant or a steward when you worry. And folks, I'm telling you, no matter what goes on in your life, you can choose peace. Why do I say that? Because Jesus promised that to us. In John 16, he says, These words I have spoken, that in me you will have peace. In this world, guaranteed, you will have tribulation. Remember the word? Philispus, crushing, squeezing, messes, one after another. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's my Jesus. I can choose peace or I can choose worry. It's up to me. I can live in the old nature or I can live in the new nature. I can live in the old man or I can live in the new man. And I would suggest we choose life. Remember there was a song in the 70s it was called War. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing as we're thinking about Vietnam and that sort of thing. Oh, that's nothing. Worthless. Well, I took a play on that. Worry. Huh. Remember that how they said that? <laughs> War. Huh. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Well, worry is good for nothing. It is actually good for nothing. It accomplishes nothing of value. Nothing. Think about this. Jesus is coming, and soon everything will be right. There is nothing. We heard this before. There is nothing that the rapture of the church cannot fix. There's nothing that the rapture of the church cannot fix. Ready or not, folks, here I come. The king is coming. The king is coming. And if I had time, I would start singing to you. The marketplace is empty. No more traffic in the street. You know that one? The king is coming. This is a reality. So live here like Jesus is coming for you. And again, now it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithful. Faithful to the king comes for you. The faithful, I'm telling you those who are real, genuine, faithful, will hear these words. And I think these are for stewards only, real faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little itsy-bitsy, teensy-weensy bit. And I will set you over much. God is a generous rewarder. Enter into the joy of your master. Folks, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Can you imagine what God has prepared for those who love him? Think about the creator. Think about the vast creativeness that he has. Think about what he has prepared for us, something that is going to blow all of our minds. May the Lord find us 
faithful. May he come back and find each one of us faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. As always, we are so grateful for your word. We are grateful, Holy Spirit, that you have given us this word, that you illuminate the word to our souls and our spirits. People today have heard this. And Lord, I know that each person has been touched in some way by your word going forward. And Lord, I'm asking you that each person in here, including myself, Lord, as I go through these teachings, you speak to me so strongly that I not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Oh, Lord, may we respond to you and say yes to whatever it is you're telling us to do. In the name of Jesus, I pray that if someone here does not know you as their Savior, today they say, yes, I believe that Jesus died for me. If someone has been walking away from Jesus, living the half-Christian life, I pray today, Lord, that you'll speak to them and they'll come to you. Come to you. Turn and start making progress, being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Lord, I pray for people today that are hurting and struggling and suffering that you'll enter into that, that you relieve them or give them the strength to go through it, Lord. You are the strength giver. You are the comforter. Enter into our situation, please. Thank you for this time together with the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.